On December 14, 2012, the United States witnessed one of the most tragic school shootings in the country's history when a lone gunman entered Sandy Hook Elementary School and killed 26 people, most of whom were children, between the ages of 6 and 7. In the aftermath of this tragedy, thoughts and prayers were offered, and as with all U.S. mass shootings, the debate on gun control became the hot topic in political discourse. As more information began to emerge about the shooter and the victims, a cynical movement began to form, one that was based on denial and the fear of a sinister plot to infringe an America's most valuable right, the Second Amendment. In the years to follow, conspiracy theorists would argue that the event of Sandy Hook Elementary School never occurred and that the massacre was fabricated by the U.S. government to disarm its citizens and implement martial law. Others saw an opportunity to exploit the skepticism of the conspiratorially inclined and create one of the most dangerous but lucrative business models on the internet. I am your social chemist Nelson, and on today's episode, we look into the conspiratorial mindset behind Sandy Hook Elementary School. When I was an undergraduate at my community college, I remember my professor bringing up the school shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. I don't recall exactly how the conversation came up, but for the most part, everyone had agreed that the event was a tragic event. Except for one girl, who told everyone that she didn't think that the school shooting happened, or that anyone died for that matter. Obviously, everyone in the class looked at her, and even my professor was like, uh, no. The event did occur, and people did die. Now, what I found interesting is that, if I remember correctly, she expressed her opinion after everyone agreed that the shooting happened, and her belief must have been very strong if she was willing to share her thoughts in a social environment where she was going to be the outlier. This was the first time I actually encountered a conspiracy theorist, and little did I know, many years later, I would pursue an interest in this mindset and share the story with you. Now, believe it or not, I was hesitant on making this episode because I felt like it would have been my most controversial episode, more controversial than the ones I've done on pedophilia, because when it comes to Sandy Hook, I found myself in the conspiratorial aisle of this event, and I didn't want to exacerbate a conspiracy theory that has already caused psychological trauma to the parents of the victims of this event. And honestly, I kept going back and forth with producing this episode because as a listener, what would you have gotten from me? Just me spewing my opinion. But after doing some soul searching, I decided to make this episode because if I had questions about the event, me being a skeptic of conspiracy theories, chances are there are other people like myself who have seen similar content and have fallen further into the rabbit hole of conspiratorial ideologies. Now before I go any further, I want to make it perfectly clear that my skepticism is not on the authenticity of the school shooting. 26 people did die at Sandy Hook, and many parents went to sleep that night knowing that they were never going to see their children again. My skepticism derives from somewhere else, which we will look at later in this episode. So for today's episode, we're going to look at what occurred at Sandy Hook Elementary School, the conspiracy theories that emerged to explain the massacre, and then assess why Sandy Hook has become the most popular conspiracy theory in regards to mass shooting. So on December 14, 2012, 20-year-old Adam Lanza, a resident of New England, Connecticut, shot and killed his mother, Nancy Lanza, by shooting her four times during her sleep. After, Lanza took her Bushmaster XM-15 semi-automatic rifle two semi-automatic pistols and a shotgun and drove his mother's car to Sandy Hook Elementary School. At approximately 9.35 a.m., Adam arrives at the school and shoots his way into the facility, where he is then confronted by Principal Don Hotsprung and school psychologist Mary Sherlock. Both women would unfortunately be fatally shot. 
Adam then enters room 8, which was one of the first three classrooms near the entrance of the school. In entering, he is confronted by Lauren Russo, a substitute teacher who is attempting to hide her students from the danger. Unfortunately, her and the 14 students she was protecting were gunned down. Landon then enters classroom 10, which is right next to classroom 8. In entering, he is confronted by Victoria Soto, the first grade teacher who at first tries to misdirect Lanza to the auditorium by saying that her students are actually there and not hiding in her classroom. Sadly, this effort is not effective, and Lanza killed Victoria Soto and six of her students. Other people who lost their lives during this event include Lauren Davino, a behavioral therapist who had been employed for a week before the mass shooting happened, and Anna Marie Murphy, a special education aide. At around 9.40 a.m., police heard a final shot which is presumed to be the fatal shot that was taken by Lanza to kill himself, ending the massacre that just took place. The massacre was only 5 minutes long, but in those 5 minutes, Lanza fired 154 rounds and a total of 26 people were killed by him on that horrific day. Now in many shooting massacres, the perpetrator usually leaves some type of manifesto explaining the reason behind their actions. In the case of Adam Lanza, no such document was found, and because of this, there is debate about what might have caused Lanza to commit such an atrocity. Some argue that Lanza was mentally ill, and because of this factor, Lanza lost sense of reality and killed 26 people. This is often a two-go explanation for conservative Republicans to mitigate blames on guns. Now, it is true that Lanza was diagnosed with mental disorders. According to mental health counselor and YouTube personality, Dr. Todd Grande, Lanza met the criteria for Autism Spectrum Disorder, ASD, and was later diagnosed with Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, OCD, as a comorbidity. Now, one of the problems of using this as a sole explanation as the cause of the school shooting, the way Republicans do, is that most people with a diagnosis of ASD and OCD do not exhibit signs of violent behavior, and to portray this image as fact can stigmatize individuals that already struggle with this disorder. The second explanation is that because of his disorder that this prevented Lanza from being able to socialize with his peers. It is reported that during his adolescence, Lanza struggled to make friends and demonstrated severe social anxiety. This was apparent especially during his high school days when students transitioned from one class to the other. The amount of people, the movement, and noise created an uncomfortable environment that internally stimulated his disorder. This was a major problem for Lanza that at a certain point he was sent to the emergency room because of a panic attack that was triggered by his external environment. Because of this, eventually he was homeschooled. However, this did little to help Lanza develop his socialization skills and further isolated him. It is reported that around this time, Lanza developed an unhealthy interest in past school shootings, specifically the 1997 high school shooting of Columbine. The third explanation is that Adam Lanza's mother, Nancy Lanza, enabled his behavior indirectly. For one, according to multiple news sources, Nancy was a gun enthusiast and a member of the National Rifle Association, though it should be noted that the NRA denies this claim. Since Adam had easy access to firearms, the only obstacle he had to overcome was committing to his plan. Another criticism towards Nancy Lanza is that she often gave in to her son's mental disorder. For example, Adam would often compulsively change his socks an unreasonable number of times, and instead of offering help, she just washed his pile of clothes three times a day, every day. In his video, which I will cite in the show notes below, Dr. Grande comments that the amount of freedom Adam was granted by his mother facilitated the murder that was about to occur. 
Another contributing factor is that Nancy Lanza was informed about the immediate mental health intervention her son needed, but for some reason didn't have the urgency to seek the help that was necessary for his treatment. Like I stated before, Adam Lanza didn't have a written note explaining the reason for his actions, and we'll never know. But just like Dr. Grande mentioned in his video, it is safe to say that Adam's mental state his relationship with his peers and mother, and the accessibility of firearms was a recipe for disaster. In the aftermath of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, one of the heated discussions was that of gun control, and to this day, nothing has really changed when it comes to these events. In the last couple of months, we've had multiple shootings, more recently the one in Buffalo, New York, which I covered in a previous episode, and the eerie similar Uvaldo Elementary School shooting. However, no school shooting has been infested with conspiracy theories than Sandy Hook, and no individual has had more influence in promoting and profiting off this movement than Infowar creator and the megalodon of conspiracy theories, Alex Jones. Now, if you're a conspiracy theory consumer or a researcher of conspiratorial ideology, then there's a good chance that you've come across this name. If you happen to be in the camp that has never heard of this person, then congratulations on keeping your state of mind pure until this point. When it comes to conspiracy theorists, there is no bigger name than Alex Jones. He is like the Cristiano Ronaldo of conspiracy theories and the Kobe Bryant of disinformation. My point is that he is the poster boy of conspiracy theory producers, creating the most successful business model for the spread of disinformation. If you're an MCU fan, in the latest Spider-Man movie, No Way Home, the fictional character Jane Jonah Jameson is depicted as the French journalist trying to smear Spider-Man while selling his vitamin supplements. This depiction of the character was based on Alex Jones and his various ineffective vitamin supplements that he has sold to his audience for years. I think it's fair to say that Alex Jones' influence is so immense, at this point he has become a cultural icon in America's political and social discourse. That being said, even though a number of conspiracy theories he believes in are laughable, his massive audience and the influence he has on them have created concern among researchers of conspiratorial ideologies. For example, a good portion of the writers on Capitol Hill on January 6th reporting getting their information from Infowars, but his most influential impact was that on Sandy Hook Elementary School. Over the years, Alex Jones has reported that the shooting and death of 26 people was a fabricated event created by the globalist elites, or whichever antagonistic outgroup you want to put in there, to scare the American people into believing that less guns make us safe. He even went as far as to say that no children died that day, and that everyone involved in Sandy Hook Elementary School was a crisis actor, from the police officers and mainstream media to the actual parents themselves. That essentially, nothing is as it seems, and everything, and I mean goddamn everything, is a conspiracy. And that the only reliable source of information is the same person that thinks that the water you drink will turn you into a homosexual, or turn your dog into a communist. I made the last one up, but if Alex Jones could profit off that conspiracy theory, I guarantee you he would be selling dog food that protects your pet from being indoctrinated by the Marxists. Now, when it comes to political conspiracy theories, the intention is to misdirect the fear and outrage onto something else. For example, the January 6th riots saw hundreds of Trump and QAnon supporters storm into the Capitol with the intent of reversing the 2020 election results in favor of Trump. However, conservative extremists argue that this depiction is an inaccurate one, and that in reality it was Antifa that had stormed the Capitol, and that the pedophile Democrats are trying to destroy the foundation of this country. 
In simpler terms, the official story is not what it seems. With this in mind, when it comes to the Sandy Hook Elementary School, the official story that a 20-year-old gunman came into the school and killed 20 children and 6 adults is a lie. Because the real danger is the New World Order trying to take away your guns, so it can be easier to enslave you and pursue their goal for depopulation. Let's assess this conspiracy theory for a second and ask ourselves, is this even logical at face value? Considering the fact that the US holds the strongest military force in the world and spends 10 times more than the next 10 developed nations combined, according to the Peter G. Peterson Foundation, if every regular citizen grabbed the gun and said, fuck it, let's fight the US military and see what happens, who do you think would win? Let's add more context to the situation. The United States has the capability of bringing wars onto other nations. Just ask the people of Iraq. Not only that, they're able to squash Islamic militant groups like Al-Qaeda who train their people for military combat, but yet right-wing conspiracy theorists will have you believe that they have the capability of taking a fighter jet head-on with an AR-15. Newsflash, the US government will blow you the fuck up. As we say here in the beautiful state of New Jersey, you can try to take down the US military, but that's as far as you're going to get. Trying. And this reminds me of a story. A year ago or so, a person tried to argue that the reason why the US has never been attacked is because other countries are afraid of Americans with guns. When I mentioned Pearl Harbor and the geographical advantage America has, he got mad and called me a pedophile. Never really addressing my point. But then again, I wasn't trying to educate as much as I was trying to infuriate. <laughs> but going back to Alex Jones and his influence on the conspiratorial community, no individual has probably received more harassment than Leonard Posner. Mr. Posner is the father of Noah Posner, one of the 20 children that were murdered on December 14, 2012. In the years to follow, conspiracists have claimed that the parents of Noah Posner were government operatives to manipulate the masses into giving up their guns in the name of safety. Since then, Leonard Posner and his wife, Veronica De La Rosa, have moved at least seven times since the shooting massacre because of constant harassment by conspiracy theorists who often leave death threats and accusations of being crisis actors. In 2017, Lucy Richards, a 57-year-old woman, conspiracy theorist, and Infowar supporter, was sentenced to five months in prison after multiple harassment and death threats towards the parents of Noah Posner. Unfortunately, this is on very little to reduce conspiracy theories about Sandy Hook since once a person has advanced to the later stages of conspiratorial ideologies, reversing this mindset is almost impossible. In the show notes below, I will leave a link to a mini documentary produced by Vice where they talk to the victims of conspiracy theories and people who succumb to this mindset and it will show you how severe this form of thinking can be. Because of all the type of conspiracy theorists that are out there, none is probably more despicable than the denialism of school shootings. Because these people will demonize the actual parents of the victims. Unlike anti-vaxxers and 5G conspiracy theorists, at least when they go to spread their misinformation, the villain is an object, not a parent mourning the loss of their child. One can argue that anti-vaxxers harass doctors and 5G conspiracy theorists harass cell phone technicians, but those are a minority. It's really the vaccines and the cell phone towers that people go after in regards to these conspiracy theories. Now as a listener, you're probably sad about the negative impact of conspiracy theories among victims of mass shooting. Well, there's some light in the end of the tunnel. In 2022, Alex Jones was ordered to pay $45.2 million in punitive damages in Sandy Hook defamation cases and $41 million in compensatory damages for claiming that the shooting was a false flag operation. 
What makes the story even more hilarious is that during his trial, Alex Jones' lawyer accidentally sent text messages between him and Alex to the plaintiff lawyer, which if you ask me, sounds like even Alex Jones' lawyer thinks that this guy's a prick and deserves to go to jail for the harm that he's enabled. As of this recording, I believe Infowar has filed for bankruptcy, so hopefully his reign of mis- and disinformation and bullshit comes to an end. Now, for Sandy Hook conspiracy theorists, there are a number of quote-unquote evidence to reinforce the idea that the whole thing was a false flag operation to scare the public to give up their Second Amendment right to bear arms. Some include the claim that there were no pictures of the dead bodies and therefore it never occurred. And I've always said that even if they did take pictures, conspiracy theorists would just deny the legitimacy of the photos, just like flat earthers invalidate the photos by NASA showing our planet as a globe. Others point to school shooting drills that happened months prior to Sandy Hook to dismiss the event and other conspiracy theories of such kind. And for the most part, these conspiracy theories are easily debunkable. However, there was one video that to this day has made me go, huh. And I forgot who showed me this video, but when I saw it, I couldn't explain it. And I told myself, I'd wait until a reasonable explanation was offered. But that explanation never came. And I thought it's time for me to answer my own question. The specific video that I am referring to is that of Robbie Parker, the father of Emily Parker, another child who tragically lost her life at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Robbie Parker was one of the first parents to make a public statement after the killing of 25 people and his daughter. Now, this is where it gets conspiratorial for me. If you search up Robbie Parker on YouTube, one of the first videos you'll find is of him sharing his feelings about the incident and how he would remember his daughter. The segment was broadcasted by the mainstream media CNN. Now, in all of the mainstream media YouTube videos that posted Robbie Parker's public statement, the top comment section for each video describes a similar claim. So in the CNN clip that I will leave in the show notes below, the first comment goes as followed by Vision X. Glad everyone still remembers this man smiling and laughing. Like I said, if you search up this video from mainstream sources, there are similar comments claiming the same thing. And that's because there is truth to the statement. In an unedited version of Robbie Parker's public statement, Mr. Parker walks up to the podium, but not before laughing and smiling to news reporters. And it is because of this behavior that the conspiratorial community goes absolutely wild. What reinforces this feeling is that the mainstream media always cuts this part of Robbie Parker's appearance, further entertaining the idea that the mainstream media is trying to lie to you. Now, I found an unedited version of this clip from a random account on YouTube, and I will leave that video on the show notes below to show you that I'm not making this stuff up. Now, I don't know how long it's going to be up there and whether it's going to be taken down, but it is hard to argue that such an expression did not occur from Robbie Parker. So why am I sharing this with you as a listener? Well, because this is a podcast where we assess conspiracy theories from a psychological perspective. And so in order to understand this mindset, we need to explore it And we might as well use myself in this example, though I would argue that my explanation is not conspiratorial, rather an alternative cause, and this will make sense in a few minutes, just hold on. In viewing the public statement from Robbie Parker, there are four explanations to help understand what could have occurred as he walked up the podium to give his speech. The first one is that Robbie Parker is a crisis actor paid by the U.S. government, and to be more specific, the Obama administration, to help brainwash the left into giving up their guns. I think I've already explained why this conspiracy theory is stupid and at least probable. The second explanation comes from Deanna Mars-Nagel, a psychotherapist and expert in trauma healing. She states, 
Some people experience chronic grief, which can last for years, and other people experience a shorter period of grief before moving forward. Generally, though, in my experience, displays of emotion that are congruent with the event occur when the event is particularly traumatizing. In fact, a person in emotional shock may often display behavior that may seem out of place, but it is a coping response in their attempt to make sense of something that is likely impossible to understand. A more similar version of this is a nervous laughter happening during intensely stressful periods. Many of us have experienced this. Now, in reading this myself, my mindset is telling me this explanation is not good enough because I have never seen a person express such emotion during a traumatic experience. And as a person who has some experience in a clinical setting, I've never witnessed such behavior. And this reinforces my perspective. But I need to be transparent in my experience because my exposure in mental health is limited to my position as an intern. I've only had three months of practical training, and so I can't state that since I haven't seen people smile during a traumatic experience that other mental health professionals haven't either. And if I did say that, then I would be in validation of the anecdotal fallacy. This is where first-hand experience is elevated to appear as factual in nature. So when it comes to this explanation, I'll give it a 4 out of a 10. The third explanation comes from Elizabeth Williamson, author of Sandy Hook, An American Tragedy and the Battle for Truth. In an interview she did with CBS News, Elizabeth explains that when Robbie Parker walked up to the podium, that he was only expecting to see one reporter, but when he came out to a sea of news reporters, it caught him off guard and caused him to give the reaction that he gave. Now, is it possible that this occurred? I mean, yeah. But do I find it likely? Well, for one, let's consider that every school shooting since Columbine has been covered immensely by the mainstream media, so I find it difficult that a person who has been impacted by the 26 deaths at Sandy Hook Elementary School will not expect the coverage that he received. Also, if you've already looked at the video I posted on the show notes below, his expression has a longevity to it that makes this explanation hard to accept. So with that being said, I give this explanation a 2 out of a 10. The fourth and final explanation comes from me. Now, before I offer my theory on what occurred, I want to make it clear that this is just my theory and I am not asserting fact or diagnosing anyone. I am simply offering my input and what could be happening in a situation like this. Based on my observation and years of thinking about this video on YouTube, I'm going to say that Robbie Parker has traits of narcissism. When it comes to people with narcissistic tendencies, they crave the spotlight and so is it possible that when Robbie Parker came out to the podium and saw the cameras pointing at him, that he smiled knowing that it was his time to shine? This is my reasoning why he smiled and laughed while walking up to the podium. And I think this explanation offers the legitimacy of the school shooting while being skeptical about the reason why Robbie Parker expressed the emotions that he did. Now, whether you as a listener accept the conspiracy theory version of the crisis actors, individual traumatic expression, Elizabeth Williams' explanation of being caught off guard, or my theory, there is a cognitive process that everyone is going through while explaining Robbie Parker's expression. The cognitive process that I am referring to is known as retroduction, or affirming the consequence. To help you visualize what I'm talking about, let's do some basic math. Let's say I ask you, what is 10 plus 10? Take your time. Alright, the answer is 20. In this example, 10 plus 10 caused the effect of 20. Simple, right? Now let's say that I asked you, what gives me 20? In this instance, 
there's a multitude of answers that can give me 20. 19 plus 1, 18 plus 2, 9 plus 11, and the list goes on and on if we include decimal numbers like, like 18.5 plus 1.5. In a real life scenario, imagine you walk out to your house and you see me laying flat on the street. In this case, the effect is me being on the street laying flat. But what caused me to be in that position? Maybe I'm sunbathing in the middle of the road. Or I just suffered a cardiac arrest. Maybe a car ran me over and left me for dead. Or the Anunnaki's returned me back to earth in front of your house after sticking a probe in where the sun don't shine. I mean, the explanations are endless. So when it comes to Robbie Parker's laughter, everyone is engaging in affirming the consequence because the only person that really knows what they were feeling that day is Robbie Parker himself. And for many people who are conspiratorially inclined, this fact is just not satisfying. And so they have to come up with alternative explanations to satisfy their cognitive closure. Whichever theory you decide to go with, what is important to know is that in the end, 26 people did die at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And unfortunately, more people will continue to lose their lives because of politicians and political figures who continue to spew myths and disinformation for profit and fame. And this is not a theory, but an actual conspiracy on the average American. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're listening on Spotify, click on that follow button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, click on that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. By doing so, you help expose this podcast to people who might be interested in conspiracy theories when in politics. If you're listening on any other platform, make sure to follow for more analysis on the conspiratorial mindset. You can follow me on Facebook and on Instagram at The Social Chemist. If possible, share this podcast with your friends to have some interesting discussions about today's episode, and I'm sure there'll be plenty to discuss. For sources, you can find them all in the show notes below. So with that being said, take care and question everything with logic.